Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello. I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft, career and what matters to them. My guest today is actor and producer Grant Dodwell. Grant is perhaps best known as Dr Simon Bowen in the iconic Australian series A Country Practice. He played the role for three years of its 11-year run, garnering a legion of fans along the way and three Logies. His television and theatre credits are extensive and include Homicide, Skyways, Willing and Able, and turns in the musicals The Sentimental Bloke, Godspell, Sunset Boulevard and Anything Goes. Recently, Grant's creative energy has turned towards preserving great performances on stage. As a co-founder of Australian Theatre Live, he has been working to share Australian plays with a global audience by capturing them on camera, on stage, in performance. The digital platform allows immediate and easy access, perhaps needed more than ever, in precarious times when sometimes we are prevented from attending live performance. Uh, Grant Dobble, um, hello, and I guess we should start this conversation with happy birthday. <laughs> yes, isn't it great we're having this, this chat on my birthday and let's not mention the number. No, we won't. I feel I feel very privileged that you've given up a, an hour of your day, your birthday, to uh, spend some time with stages. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've I've listened to quite a few, and um, yeah, they're great, really good. Grant Radnor Dodwell is yeah. is Radnor a family name? Yes, it is. It was my grandfather's um, Christian name, uh, Radnor, and interestingly, we're not sure exactly where it came from or how. But, um, yeah, I, I, there is a Radnorshire in, in the UK and I believe somewhere in Ireland there's a bit of a Radnor uh, flow. So, yeah, I never met both my grandfathers, sadly. Um, Radnor died very young and uh, only months before I was born, as did my other grandfather, uh, George Walker, who was a Salvation Army missionary, um, my mother was born and raised in China, actually, of Salvation Army missionary parents. So, again, I missed by two months missing meeting my um, both my grandfathers, including George Walker. Yeah. But able to spend some time with your grandmothers? Yes, most definitely, yeah. yeah. Dad's mother, Myra, lived well into her 80s, as did Jessie, and um, fond memories. Jessie used to, um, was a matron, at um, a Salvation Army lodge in Petersham called the Sunset Lodge, and it was an old people's home, a retirement village, 
and there was a Salvation Army Sunset Lodge. So I'd spend my weekends with um, Nana and she had a little place out the back. And the nest of tables as a six or seven-year-old, they used to, she only didn't know how to cook, but she'd certainly boil an egg and cut the toast into the shape of a ship. And I, I've, I've still got that nest of tables that she bought from China when she came back to live in Australia permanently um, in the house and fond memories of sitting there with my boiled egg and toast in the shape of a ship. So, yeah, I did spend uh, a lot of time with, with both Jesse and Myra. The acting gene, uh, did that exist in uh, any of your ancestors? Look, only, I guess, I know apparently George Walker, my grandfather, was uh, a wonderful preacher and um, certainly was a good storyteller, as a, I guess, as all good uh, men uh, in that particular ilk are. Yeah, he was um, uh, very emotional and uh, committed uh, to the Salvation Army, as was my grandmother. And indeed, a lot of my cousins uh, are still Salvationists. And um, yeah, so, but otherwise, not really. My uncle Noel was always a great raconteur. He still is. He's still alive. He's one of the ones left of the family. They all scattered my Myra's children, my grand um, and Radnor's children. They went to Canada. In fact, Keith lived in America for almost 40 years. So, But no, no nothing really there. Mum played piano, beautiful piano, um, and had a wonderful singing voice. And, uh, you know, she used to, you know, teach me songs and I'd sing at church um, uh, with her. Yeah, so... So there was a, a gift for storytelling there uh, along the way. And yeah. your, your children have certainly uh, carried on in Dad's footsteps, haven't they, and as performers? Uh, well, yes. My, my youngest has, Celeste. Yeah. She's in yeah. London as a working actor. She uh, graduated from Lambda about four years ago. And she's worked at the National and Orange Grove Theatre. And uh, she finished a film with Peter Dinklage in um, Sardinia during COVID. So... Yeah, sadly, she lives in London, but she comes over as much uh, as she can. My eldest daughter, Imogen, is a teacher. Now, Grant, I think the last time I saw you on stage was in Tommy Murphy's Gwyn in Purgatory in about 2010. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you retired from acting and, and now have a different focus or are you still a gun for hire? Look, I'm, I'm still a gun for hire. And, in fact, I, I did a play reading of One Day of the Year uh, for the Actors' Benevolent Fund with... Um, um, and Fiona Press um, played my wife, opposite Alf and Dot, and Anthony Phelan played, um, our, uh, what's his name? Wacker. 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 Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we had a, a great rehearsal. And But, yeah, look, unless it's something that's really very attractive, um, my time now is really devoted to... Australian Theatre Live, and, of course, I've worked for 20-odd years in the corporate acting arena, and that sort of kept bread and butter. It's kept kept me together. And um, I still work with Raj Sidhu and my colleague Peter Hiscock um, in real play media. 
And um, there's a lot of people that first started working with me in the corporate arena, and it's very much like a Boal theatre. So it's not leaving acting behind at all. Yeah. Um, we write and research a little one-act play, and then the actors remain in role. Questions are asked, and there's a great deal of improvisation. And the participants in the corporate world, whether it be a rail corp or uh, the Navy, then are then guide the characters to do things differently given the information or tips and tools they're given. So we improvise the scene and see what change happens. So, you know, it's slightly artificial, but nevertheless, theatre in its true sense creates an emotional landscape within its audience or participants. And what we've noted right from the very beginning with this what we call real play and but essentially it's presenting actors and in order to open up the conversation it's a catalyst and a springboard the emotional impact on the scene if it's well researched and well written allows the participants to enter into a different level of conversation around what they see happening. It's nuanced. There's no right, wrong or good or bad. It's is this the way it is. So it's still very much anchored um, in theatre and how theatre operates when we go to the Griffin or Belvoir. I remember when I was acting, uh, I had a gig working with new uh, trainee medical students where we were given a scenario yeah, for a particular right. ailment or medical condition and uh, they would have to uh, to counsel us to work out what the issue was. Yeah. And it was very exciting as an actor, wasn't it? You, you were actually very much in the You're moment yeah. and not realising what the, what the next dialogue would be. Yeah. And, and, in fact, I know many actors have said to me, you know, I did that workshop with you for two days and I had a screen test the next day. I got it. You know, it's as we all know. I mean, practicing our craft is 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 the way to to find that um, lucky opportunity to sort of um, to to move forward in the industry has a lot to do with continually focusing on your work, and uh, and corporate theatre allows you to do that. Most definitely. I mean, you know, we do four-day workshops with Navy leadership where the, the scenario is 30 pages long mm. and there's four actors that come and go during this, this initial interaction and they might be playing senior public servants opposite ship's commanders and fleet commanders. Mm. And, they're one, you know, I, I have so much respect for since I've done all this work with the ADF, you know, there, there's some incredible individuals who work within that that particular area so we you know we will come in on day one and there'll be a day two and and day three where they're continually honing um they play themselves and we play the particular characters i mean i've got lex marinos playing a a crusty old journalist at the moment and he's fabulous i bet it's all improvised (laughs) it's just wonderful (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've been an actor for, for over four decades, dare I say, now in the industry. Mm-hmm. I imagine you've seen quite uh, a deal of change in the industry over that time. Yes. Yeah, most most definitely. I, I think, you know, I remember when I, I said I'm going to NIDA, people would say, oh, what's that? Or 
And I said, well, you, you know, you do some training, you become an actor. And they said, well, where do you do that? What's that? I mean, you know, the, the awareness was, wasn't was there. I mean, you were either someone like myself who was a, in high school that went to the ensemble and saw Max Cullen and Max Phipps in Fortune in Men's Eyes or, or saw Shane Porteous as a 17-year-old do um, the night throws spent in jail, you know, like, which were two two productions that really, you know, pushed me towards um, this the profession. There are a lot fewer of us in those days. <laughs> you know, we were really lucky, you know, there'd be the same group of 10 that had turned up for the one role where nowadays it's, you know, yeah, I, there's I, a lot of competition, isn't there? And I think you point well, to that, um, the reasoning. We, there was really only one training institution in the country at the time, and that yeah. was NIDA. Uh, yeah. and so there were fewer uh, competitors once you graduated. But now there is an abundance of training schools and who are producing you know, hundreds of, of students, uh, or yeah. novice actors every year. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, 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 the media landscape has changed so much. I mean, even from the country practice days, you know, like, you know, promotional marketing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking through some old material now that my mother used to fastidiously collect. And, you know, there were newspaper ads, full page ads for a country practice. Well, you know, that because they're only that's all there was. There was cinema, radio and television. Yeah, and four and, commercial uh, stations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. and so it's it, it's very different, um, and so the awareness of acting and working within the entertainment industry is it has such a bigger reach, and in a way that's good because there are people that um, now have the opportunity to do a show that allows them to show their talent. Tell me about your first forays onto the stage in plays like You Can't Take It With You and, and The Diary of Anne Frank at the Old Tote. Oh, wow. Oh, I'd forgotten about You Can't Take It With You. That was That's the, 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 the George S. Kaufman, wasn't it? And, uh, Kaufman, yeah. yeah. We did that at, um, as a matter of fact, I got a text from Andrew McFarlane, who was in my year at NIDA, Angela Punch-McGregor, um, Johnny Jarrett, um, Tina Bursell, Belinda Giblin. Um, it was a good year. Not bad but, company. That, yeah, we did that. Ah, oh, that's that's a memory at the Jane Street Theatre um, as a student production. <clears throat> and I don't think I had a, a major role in that, but it was certainly the first time we were in a, a theatre. Diary of Anna Frank was done at Top Tote in the old NIDA. And in fact, Aubrey Mellor sent me a message the other day remembering that I played Mr. Dussel and how much he thought I was fabulous in that role as a 18 year old playing a, a, a 70 year old um, dentist, I think he is, in the diary about a Frank. But with, with um, you can't take it with you. It was the first time we were backstage, you know, in dressing rooms and, you know, there was a, a, a there were seats out front. So it was a converted church. And, um, yeah, I, I, fond memories. Um, Alan Andrews, uh, the very, very funny actors. Um, 
they were comedic, um, had a sense of timing. Uh, they, were, they were things that I was sort of aspiring to. I was a little sort of sat in the back in, in NIDA. I wasn't as upfront of, as these. Angela Punch McGregor, just, just wonderful, you know. Uh, um, and in fact, I remember I went to a Roman ball with Angela Punch McGregor. I, I invited her as, on a date and I wore a purple caftan which I don't know where I got it from, but I remember whatever we had, we had some discussion. She was driving and we had some discussion in the car and Angela can't remember this, but I can because we got over the, the Sydney Harbour Bridge because we both lived on the north side and as you turn right into Neutral Bay before the Oaks Hotel, Angela had enough and she pulled over and said, Grant, get out of the car. And I went, oh, don't be silly. She said, get out of the car. And so I did. And I, I had to hitchhike home wearing a purple caftan in those days. It wasn't as bad. I'm sure I would have been, could have been murdered. But uh, uh, wonderful times. And, you know, I got this message from Angela McFarlane today saying, you know, happy birthday, old pal. And I said, Yes, the old is certainly correct, although I don't think any of us feel old. And, and I went straight to Queensland Theatre Company after NIDA and, and uh, you know, worked there for 18 months doing rep, um, you know, ruined class, national health, toured You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown with the wonderful Carol Burns and, um, and uh, Jeffrey Rush played Snoopy and... I was Schroeder and we did a 10-week tour where we were billeted. I mean, you know, we were like, it was like a football team, you know, so we'd line up against the bus and the billet person who was billeting, who was with the local arts council in Blackall or Barcaldon, who didn't necessarily come to the show but was part of the community arts council, you know, would point and say, I'll have him and him, you know, and then we'd go there with Paul Woods uh, who played Linus in the original Harry and Miller production in Sydney came up and played Linus again and we'd be always be paired together and, you know, they'd say, what do you want, meat or fish? You know, it was meat or chicken. And we'd be out on camp stretches on the veranda being billeted, you know. A, a training institution, a drama school, can certainly give you skills to, to prepare you for a career. But it's not until you get out in that, that first year, two years, that you're really learning on the job, aren't you, with experienced actors and um, playing real theatre? Yeah. Um, you know, Ivor Kantz, you know, Carol Burns, um, Arthur Frame, um, Doug Hedge. Um, there were just so many actors I learned such a, a great deal I think I was still very young 20 21 and the other area was theatre and education because after QT I did theatre and education for which was then old toad ATYP um, and I was 16 weeks on the road with Margie McRae and Sean my now partner of many years Three of us in a Holden Kingswood station wagon with Arts Council of New South Wales in red letters on a white wagon in the and with four eight by four rostrums and a big Wappen sound system. And we, you know, Mount Isa, 
um, went through Wilcannia. Um, you know, long you, you name a town we played, and we would traverse. Sometimes we'd do two shows in the morning, a senior and junior show, and then travel eighty to hundred miles to do a late afternoon show in another school. You know, um, and Robert Love was with the Arts Council then. That's when I first met Robert. And, um, yeah, so that was that was a real education, that theatre and education. That was maintaining being consistent with audiences that had never seen theatre before. And I used to run a workshop after doing the show. And there are a few actors, Gary Scale being one of them, who was at one of those workshops. And as he said, it's all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been in Geelong probably. Yes, yeah, and that was with Melbourne Theatre Company because then I did theatre and education and Jonathan Hardy directed a play with Greg Shear. We're on the road. I did a two-hander. Yeah, again, we're in a Toyota Hi-Ace that time, you know, early morning, you know. Nine o'clock performances. Um, and a great way to hone your craft in front of a, because we're talking the audience is very young. Yeah. Especially we played Wynne Leighton's, um, you know, like where they keep people, uh, what do you call them, before they go to jail the, or before they have court cases. It's a right. holding, you know, Wynne Leighton yeah. world. Anyway, it was a two-hander and there was a part, we were playing with these women who were going to trial for whatever reason, um, and all for all reasons, and we there are about sixty of them in the audience. There were two of us on stage, and we get this phone connection by accident. Huh, that wouldn't happen nowadays. But it's hello, who are you? And we start talking to one another, and we form quite a strong relationship over the time. It's raining. We've both been stood up with our dates and we've crossed, got a crossed line. And we decide to keep the phone line open as we go to sleep. It's the early hours, like two. So the sets are identical with two beds on them. Rostrum, again, the girls, when Leighton girls are there, the rough girls and the, you know, the quiet, all do such a diverse group of young women. They're loving the play and we both fall asleep and we give it generally about 10 or 15 seconds to denote time passing. Well, one of these girls took off her sand shoe and threw it at me and it hit me in the head to wake me up. <laughs> and, of course, then the, the prison wardens came down and grabbed this girl and carted her out. And, you know, what, what experiences do you get when an audience is that involved? that they decide they need to wake you up with a sand shoe thrown at you. And then we had afternoon tea where they had made the cakes and a few of them came up and said, don't eat the sponge cake, it's got eggshells in it, because they were going to get back at us. So they, they, they loved the show so much they warned us not to eat the sponge cake, which we didn't. So theatre and education, yeah, yeah. Your career in television is uh, starting as well. And I believe one of your first gigs was Homicide. I love talking to uh, alumni of, of Homicide. Um, who did you play in Homicide? I, I played a character, would you believe, called Harold Pratt. 
And uh, in fact, it's on YouTube. Someone found it the other day. And I think someone's put a photograph of me on Facebook. I was a welder. I was the red herring. Um, and Igor Uzens, who's a director, it was the second last homicide. And, um, yeah, I was the red herring. My girlfriend was the one who'd been beaten up and I was I was interviewed um, by, by the cops. And, um, yeah, it was soon realised that it, was, it wasn't me indeed. But I looked back and I thought, that's not too bad, actually. You know, quite a good okay. performance. My voice seems a lot higher. Oh, yes, I think all, all of our voices deepen as we get older. A lot of English series would come out and do a version of themselves in Australia. And, uh, of course, Father, Dear Father, with Patrick <laughs> Cargill, you, you had an episode in that. Yeah, I, a few episodes, I think, with Father, Dear Father, Down Under, and I was Sigrid Thornton's boyfriend. Um, or was it Sally Carl? Sally Connabear. Sorry, Sally Connabear and, and Sigrid. I think I was Sigrid's. And I was a, um, a university student who had a passion for photography. And there was one scene where Sigrid and I were bouncing on the bed and Patrick Cardinal comes in and finds us and admonishes us and tells me to leave. I think that <laughs> there wasn't too much on that. But that was when Channel 7 brought out English producers uh, because they did a doctor, doctor down under as well. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So again, a great learning experience. Um, I did one a pilot with Jeannie Little too, which was uh, called Cuckoo in the Nest um, with Darling Jeannie. And I remember where there's quite a few young actors involved, and she drove us home. You know, because I don't think they gave us cab vouchers and we're about to walk down to the train there at Epping. And she said, oh, darling, come with me. Where do you live? Where do you live? And she drove us all to our individual homes and I remained a, a good friend of, of Jeannie's from that pilot. It was never picked up, but it was, wow. it was fun but, to do. And, of course, at this time in the, in the mid-'70s, um, Australian television is only about 15, 20 years old, so mm. it's still a learning ground for a lot of the creatives involved, the, the writers, yeah. the directors, the, the actors. Catch Us If You Can was a, 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 like a series only lasted with um, um, Auntie Jack, Graham Bond and I doing impro gags, like capture gags, they do them now, you know. So, you know, people would be in a restaurant and it, um, Graham had come out saying, uh, we want everybody to use these loud hailers and call out what you want because in a cafe because the, the waitress is not working today. So I'd be the you have to start and say, oh, two eggs on toast, thank you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'd get other individuals to do it. And then we also had money in a bucket and we were on a roof and we'd hire a casual to come in and hang out $50 bills or $20 bills on a line to dry them. And then that was catch us if you can. It was like candid camera, basically. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember your first encounter with the television as an audience member? When when did you first discover TV? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Uncle Norm, who was Dad's sister's 
husband, wonderful bloke, lived in America for like 20 years, came back, same accent. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Hadn't changed a bit. I went and saw the wrestling at Channel 9 and they had a program. Pam used to do Pammy's Tips. She was a friend of Norm because he used to work at the Greyhounds with the turnstile or on-course betting Norm. And as a, I must have been 14, maybe older, I'd go to Channel 9 early in the morning and watch Clarence the Clocker, which was a sporting program with Pammy's Tips, a panel sporting show, and then in the afternoon they'd do the wrestling and I'd sit in on the wrestling. So, and of course, many years later, I did the Mike Walsh show and, and Ray Martin doing that in that same studio, yeah. Wow. So that was my first experience of viewing television, yeah. I, I you know, like when I left school, I saw I, I auditioned for NIDA twice well and they told me to go away and come back and I got in the second time but I I was what I'm doing now is sort of what I really wanted to do was was produce and work in film and I wrote letters to every company in Sydney in the late 60s and got a reply from all of them saying well when you finish school come and see us so in those days you could start as a you know sort of working as a stagehand or a copy boy in the office yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was my early taste of television, yeah. Well, of course, 1981 comes along and you land a role which is going to have a significant impact on your career and, and Australian audiences as, as Dr Simon Bowen in a country practice. Yeah. You know, there's a re- there's big resurgence now because it's back on 7 plus and no, I'm not getting any residuals. <laughs> there was a very, very clever accountant who put in a clause in our contract saying, you know, so we were paid, you know, as we were paid for, you know, various other things. But the clause was for any future electronic medium and that covered all of what's happening now. Yes, so you would never have thought of streaming then. No, 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 of course not. But there was some smart lawyer contractor who thought, hmm, yeah, any future electronic medium um anyway it's on now and yeah I've, i'm getting you know little letters and things saying i'm watching country practice again and yeah look it was you know the best thing about country practice was and i was at Lorraine desmond's farewell the other day and we greeted each other shane porteous wendy stralo shane Withington and Ann Tenney. I think that's all that could make it. Even Jim Davin, the producer, couldn't make it from Melbourne due to COVID. But there's, you don't use words. Like there's no, oh, hi, good to see you. How are you? Oh, how are you going? It's really interesting. It's, it's a simple look and a hug, perhaps an extended hug. And that's it. You know, it, there's no later on there might be what are you doing now or anything like that, but it's almost telepathic. Um, it was only three and a half years. Uh, we were the underdog. They put us on in non-ratings period. And again, in those days, decisions were made 
by the, the top guy, Ted Thomas. Ted Thomas wanted a country practice. He, we did the pilot. Then Anthony and Shane Withington came in as Molly and Brandon. And a lot of the executives gave it the thumbs down. They said, no, it's not going to work. And Ted said, well, I don't care. We're doing it. Now, I don't know how I think, you know, it, people would probably say, well, it's a lot more fair and equitable nowadays, but I'm not sure. There was no interference in those days from the network. They left you to do your job. They didn't interfere with casting and say, no, we want that person in, not that person. Or, you know, they, they gave the producers and the creatives their job. They trusted them. There was a respect there. I'm sure there still is, but it's very muddied. And the compromise for Ted was the executive said, all right, we'll, we'll put it on in non-ratings. Let's not do a big fanfare. Let's put it in the Christmas period. So Tom, Ted said, okay, well, let's do that. Well, we started the first season um, prior to Christmas and sure enough, it went on. And over that Christmas break, it built an extraordinary following and then just built and built to be one of the highest rating shows within two years in the history of Australian television. Yeah. But we were, as a cast, we were all ex-theatre, not saying that, you know, that, that, that's, I guess there was a, a commonality there for us, not saying that it was any better than a cast that hadn't done theatre, not, not saying that at all, that, that there, was a, there was an underlying commonality. We understood each other and, you know, when Penny and I went in and we had 20 minutes of dialogue to film in an afternoon or from 11 o'clock till 5 or 6, extraordinary you need colleagues professionals to work with that 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 push you that that work towards you giving your best and that's what the the cast of acp were and of course our writers we had extraordinary writers and producers as i mentioned helen scott the darling lynn byonis who i went on to do willing and able with ted roberts you know, Louis Bionis, inventive, risk-taking writers who, who gave you the opportunity and the television world and the viewers an opportunity to invest in something that was more than just who's up who and who's paying the rent. <laughs> and we had guest actors, you know. The, I mean, you know, Darling Graham Rouse left us a, a few days ago. Now, Rousey directed it, but he also acted in it. You know, we had Queenie Ashton. We we had so many guest actors. Baz Luhrmann came in to a country practice, you know. Uh, extraordinary performance, if you can track it down <laughs> with Baz, playing a pig farmer. Grant, can you tell me about working with Penny Cook, the beautiful Penny Cook, who we lost a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, we caught up recently at a, a launch, at a scholarship in her name at, at Monkey Bar. But as a pairing on TV, you know, Vicky Dean and Simon Bowen were the most adored couple by Australian audiences. And not since um, Charlene and Scott in Neighbours were there a couple that were so adored. There was a wonderful chemistry between the two of you. And I think in this podcast too, we can celebrate six degrees of separation with those uh, people who are no longer with us, those personalities. Tell me about working with Penny Cook. 
right from the get-go, from our audition, and I, I think they, from what I recall, Jim Davin years later said that they'd sort of decided that um, I was going to be the Simon, uh, although there were still other people coming in. Uh, and they called me back and I, I had, I think there was about four or five um, potential Vicky the Vets. And it was a particular scene from the pilot where a long-haired sheepdog was on the veterinary table and for the um, for the screen test, it was a, a life-size um, soft toy of, of a dog, like quite a big thing. It was inevitable. Penny came in, of course, were perfect, willing to experiment, to move, to, in, to be inclusive. She had immediately had an energy there and, and I just want to say that because there was a vulnerability as well and any good actor has that combination of that, that presence, that inclusiveness, but that, that vulnerability as well that may come in and out. Every other actress that I'd worked with in the audition process when Simon, who would invade people's personal space, no problem, um, every time I invaded the personal space, not, you know, uh, um, so it became uncomfortable, but the scene required us to run, to move around this stuffed dog. As she was trying to do the inspection, Simon's going under the dog, around the dog, you know, continually saying, oh, um, by the way, what about coming out to dinner or why don't we go on a picnic or something like that? Every actress I moved into moved back, moved away. Penny moved forward. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Simon. And I'm not interested. So Simon was the one who had to move back out of the out of the space. And there was such a there was a joy in it too. Penny would it was playful, you know. We'd get into trouble because of our playfulness, and because we'd crack each other up. Um, and the director would come down and say, "Listen, we've only got this amount of time. We need to get it together." Um, I think that playfulness, which is required for any good combination or any actors, whether it be a very serious um, um, uh, synopsis. Um, so those are the elements that Penny brought to it. There was also, she was fiercely intelligent as well and also an extreme loyalty that happened almost instantaneously. If Penny was with you and, you know, was working with you, that was it. And that happened right up to, to the very end. Um and she did so much. And, you know, it, it, at Penny's Farewell, not that it was a surprise to me, but it was to a lot of people, the people outside the profession who knew nothing about Penny and her work got up at Penny's Farewell and spoke of her generosity of spirit, her, her community activities. Sure, Penny could be very straightforward as well. I mean, she'd call a spade a spade. You know, if, if you were, you know, not doing it the way 
she, you discussed or intended it to do, there was time for a debate. <laughs> uh, she wasn't shy in, in, in sort of jumping into the, the boxing ring and having a sort of a robust discussion around this. But ultimately underneath that was that vulnerability and that, that care. Um, you know, and I think I remember when we did the wedding episode, we didn't finish till, I don't know, 11 o'clock and they hired this bus to take the extras and us back to the studio. There was very little fanfare, but someone had bought a couple of bottles of sort of, um, you know, um, what was the name of that really cheap champagne in those days, um, whatever it was, and uh, a pile of plastic cups. And Penny went round and poured individually to everybody, extras that she may not have spoken to during the day. You know, there was like, there was a, a sense of um, occasion, a sense of occasion that she brought to that bus at 11.30 at night as we were trounced back home to jump in our cars, to drive in, to have four hours sleep and be back on set the next day. Although we, we didn't certainly didn't live in each other's pockets or... You know, there were months that would go by and it was generally in the four years. But our conversation would start and it would be four hours later. And I just admired, I was only saying to my colleagues today about, you know, the Griffin Theatre. I mean, you know, Penny saved that theatre. She, she got the Seaborn Foundation on board. There was so much work she did and... Uh, yeah, she was she was one of a kind. Uh, Grant, you've also, as you, I think you alluded to earlier with your good man, Charlie Brown, uh, set foot on the musical theatre stage in Anything Goes and yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Yes. Do you, did you enjoy the big commercial musical experience? Yes, I do. I mean, you know, whether it comes from sitting on my knee with my grandmother, that's my Salvation Army grandmother, in the Dulwich Hill Temple with the big Salvation Army band, you know, with the tambourines and, you know, my love of music was there from my mother and from my grandmother. And to sing with Hugh Jackman with the 28-piece orchestra is wonderful. <laughs> no two words about it. I only came in, I took over from Robert Grubb from Grubby um, and playing Sheldrake. And she was so generous because I only had a few days to rehearse it in. I knew the song, my main song, and, um, you know, Hugh gave me extra time uh, during our, you know, sort of rehearsal on stage. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I loved it. It's just a pity it didn't tour uh, to Absolutely. Sydney. It, it closed down there. It was a lavish production. It was beautifully realised. Yeah, so I, I do, and anything goes. But Geraldine and Simon Burke, you know, again, um, just a fabulous experience. And a different, requiring a different discipline because you're, you're delivering eight performances a week where you're not just acting, you're singing and dancing as well. And you had a big number in that with um, the gypsy in me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was like a three and a half minute, four minute. Um, Geraldine had so much patience with me because I'm certainly not a hoofer and, and Geraldine is and... Uh, when we came to re-rehearse it, I remember her saying, why have you forgotten this? <laughs> um, but I would come off in a lather after that. 
but we did achieve, you know, working with Geraldine, of course, uh, again, uh, an honour and a, a privilege because she, again, demands so much of herself and you as a, as a performer on stage. And uh, I used to love doing that, The Gypsy in there. It was a, a great song. A Lord great Evelyn experience. Oakley. That's right, yes, with the monocle and, and uh, the gypsy in me. Again, I learnt the song for the audition. I remember people saying, oh, I shouldn't do that. Um, you should just come in and shouldn't learn the song. And I thought, well, I think it's fairly straightforward, the song. I don't think it's going to be interpreted in any other way than what I've heard. So I just went in and did it. And the same, well, with Sunset Boulevard, I, I had to learn the song straight yeah. up, yeah. Now, earlier conversation about talking, uh, discussing the changes which have happened over a 40-year period. We're now at a time, who'd have thought, and I think it's very exciting, where you and your organisation are capturing performances on stage and allowing them to be shared with a global audience. Tell me about Australian Theatre Live. Yeah, Australian Theatre Live, well, we were initially called Australian National Theatre Live, but there was some confusion around national theatre and our being associated with national theatre, which wasn't the only association with national theatre was, you know, six years ago, I said, why haven't we got an equivalent to national theatre? Why, why haven't we, we should be, you know, at least archiving our Australian plays. And if there is a distribution market to be had, why don't we, why don't we do that? Um, it, it wasn't easy in the beginning. I think we had, we, we were up to date with all the latest research, but, you know, one of the biggest pushbacks was, oh, you're, we're going to lose audience members. You know, people are going to watch it in the cinema or, you know, on iView, and they're not going to go to the theatre. Well, it's the opposite. It's, it's, it, I'm reminded too when soccer first went, was going to be on television. People went, oh, that's it. No one's going to go to the stadium. Well, uh, no, they still go to the stadium. And indeed, Hamilton was, was really proved for a lot of naysayers even up until last year. Hamilton went on and Disney were very nervous about putting it on because they knew they had productions happening everywhere. Well, it increased ticket sales when it went on Disney Channel. This is Simply the, the film people, performance of the original Broadway cast, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because people saw it and went, oh, I'd love to see that live. Well, that's the... <laughs> Theatre is a live experience. Um, yeah. And when you can't get there, then, then watching a film... Uh, yeah. version of it is the next best thing, but people will always try and get there for that live experience. Mm -hmm. And also what I've appreciated with, because there are companies all around the world filming their product and uh, making them available, it's terrific to see those actors in London or America mm -hmm. or Europe somewhere strutting their stuff. Otherwise, we would not be able to enter those playhouses. Yeah. I think COVID, I mean, was is devastating for our, for our industry, but it it sort of opened it up for us. I mean, ABC iView came to us and we had five productions. But we, we were there as a archivists and basically getting it to regional and rural Australia because a lot of people can't get 
to the metropolitan areas and see Michael Gow's production of Away. But we only screened last week in Bundaberg at the Moncrief Theatre Away. And wonderful feedback, you know, uh, Sunday, 2 p.m. screening of Away. Now it's the production is three or four years old, but it's still it's still there. Um, 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 the uh, Cowra Theatre, run by Jonathan up there, who was uh, marketing from uh, Riverside, uh, screened Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, fortunately, before COVID, before, well, before, you know, I don't think they're locked down in rural, are they? No. no. But, you know, again, uh, um, you know, again, a, a windmill theatre production that is seen by so many more kids. Um, we can take it, we've got Play in a Box, which is a pop-up cinema that we take to small towns of 200 population, put it in their community hall, make it an event. It, it's it's a not-for-profit. It, it's really, uh, see, my fear is that when I was young, I, I had the opportunity to go to theatre and that inspired me. I think there's a lot of younger people in rural and regional Australia who would get up, get theatre, would understand it. And even if it's just a taste of the, and we shoot it in such a way where you do get the, we, you don't lose the theatricality or the storytelling. You know, we're very clear on that. Um, yeah, so fortunately the federal government uh, came in because we slipped through the cracks with Screen Australia. We didn't fit their guidelines. And Australia Council, there was a slight opening, but we were coming out of a theatre bucket. And I can understand um, people, were, the assessors were going, well, hang on, this is film, not theatre. And then Screen Australia were going, hang on, this, this is theatre, not film. So with the federal government's RISE program, um, they saw certainly value in what we were doing and um, have given us a, a grant invested in us. But, of course, we have to raise, you know, 200000 as well. I mean, and we put in over the period where we weren't funded, our company, Real Play Media, put in about 180000 just to keep it alive. So there's been a lot of investing going on and now we're seeking sponsors and seeking philanthropists to come on board. And the federal government's stamping of what we're doing has given... Uh, credibility to what we do and how we do it. What I love about what you're doing is you're also preserving some extraordinary performances from actors and from playwrights. I mean, mm. how wonderful would it have been to sort of be able to access a play at the Melbourne Theatre Company with Frank Thring in it, you know, uh, 40 years ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah just to yeah, see exactly. how acting yeah. styles have changed and 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 great performers in uh, yeah. In their uh, in their race, yeah, um, brilliant stuff. So but we're, we're, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, we, you know, we've done, we've actually moved away. We've done a Shakespeare, Taming of the Shrew, Queensland Theatre. We've got two more to film with them. Return to the Dirt, young Australian playwright Lee Lewis is directing, and we're doing um, Robin Archer's Australian Stories um, in December. So that's another two that we have. Um, you know, we've got, uh, again, we've stepped away doing a, um, a Francesco Cavalli opera written in 1640, directed by Mitchell 
Patel, the loves of Apollo and Daphne. We did the last Wolf Review. We've got Keating, the Gospel According to Paul, which a lot of people will enjoy. Um, and we're thinking of doing, we're in the process of doing Hibernation, a new Australian play at South Australia, at the State Theatre Company, South, South Australia, yeah. Yeah, I love it. You're exploring a whole range of spaces as well, different big theatres, mm. little theatres, uh, the repertoire as well. Yeah, this much is true. Um, um, Diving for Pearls should be released with Susie, um, uh, Stephen Rod uh, Stevie Rogers and Ursula Yorich. Wonderful production. Darren Yap directing, Griffin Theatre Company. And, of course, all of your, your library is Australian. Yeah, all Australian playwrights. Yeah. Oh, You're Not Special, a new one we've just done, uh, which we're, we'll be releasing in a few weeks, um, from a new company called Rogue Projects um, in association with Bakehouse, Kinks Cross Theatre. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're, 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 we're moving. We're, we're flat out. We're, we're going great guns. You've been very generous in times of lockdown also in allowing the fair to be accessed so that people can mm. have that theatre experience at home. Yeah, we've got one coming up. Uh, I guess by the time this goes uh, on air, it'll be, it will have passed. But, yeah, Sydney's in lockdown. Um, so we thought, well, Emerald City, as Williamson tagged Sydney, the Emerald City, so wonderful production. Again, with Mitchell Battelle, it seems as though we're a Mitchell Battelle fan club. But, uh, <laughs> he plays, and the wonderful performance from Lucy Bell in that production, um, which is great. So next Tuesday where we're doing a, a one-off sort of... But, but audiences, can, they can be kept abreast of what you're doing and, and what you're sharing occasionally through all of your socials. You've got a terrific Instagram page and and Facebook page, yep. which uh, keeps us all up to date with uh, what Australian Theatre Live is, is providing. Very reasonable on our video on demand page. On, um, you know, I think, you know, Dapto Chaser, you know, it's just such a wonderful production, Mary Rachel Brown um, and Danny Adcock. And, I, you know, so many people go, wow, you know, I had no idea of this play and what wonderful performances. And on the video on demand page, um, you know, I think we're getting hits all the time. You know, not a day goes by where it's now building, where people go, oh, if you want to see an Australian play, um, you know, check check out the site. Well, it's a tremendous cultural project, Grant, preserving our artistic heritage and it's providing a great legacy. So, so congratulations to you and the team. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, most definitely. And we're thinking about Monkey Bath. Actually, we want to. I'd love to get a monkey bar production, um, and uh, in fact, a First Nations production as well. Um, we're we're in the process of in investigating that. We want to, you know, to to be there, to be diverse, especially when we have sort of funding from um, the government. We want to, you know, make sure that we we traverse all forms of theatre. Uh, hence, our move into opera. Yeah. Sounds like you've got lots to keep you busy. Um, thank you for sharing this hour of your birthday. Um, I hope you're going to be spoiled with a cake or something today. Yeah, look, I don't know. It's, you know, we're in lockdown. Uh, there's been a couple of an indication. Usually we have, uh, you know, Lucy and Danielle who work with us part-time in the office on a Friday. 
but um, and we, I'm sure we would have planned some celebration. However, there's always next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Grant, very much. Oh, look, thank you, Peter. I, I, I've really, uh, it's been quite cathartic in a way, um, reminiscing, and you've uh, um, sort of stoked quite a few memories and stories that uh, I haven't um, reached in, in a long time. So thank you. There is a substantial library of content building in Australian Theatre Live and all accessible through their website, australiantheatre.live. Check it out and indulge in some great Australian fare that takes you to a range of repertoire in a range of spaces, all captured beautifully by Grant and the team at Australian Theatre Live. My guest today, Grant Dodwell. Thanks for joining us. It's always a joy to have your company. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to The Stages Podcast. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe and I'll catch you next time. Music